Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 21st pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and it is here. Senior Bowl practice has officially kicked off, and we are here to break it down for you on today's episode of the show with analysis of what happened on the field. We'll get some takeaways from the weigh-ins this morning, and we've got another exclusive interview from a college coach about some of the players down at the game. And it all starts with Draft Buzz, where I'm joined by Dane Brugler down in Mobile to get his thoughts on what he saw not just at practice, but also from the weigh-in process as well. So we'll get some day one reaction to the day from Dane there in Draft Buzz. After that, in pick six, I'm going to take my crack at it. I'm going to take a look at six players that stood out to me after going through all the film from the day's worth of practice as well. And then we'll wrap things up with Mr. Relevant, where today I am joined by Florida State defensive coordinator Adam Fuller to talk about a couple of his players down there in Mobile. Hamza Nazardine, the safety from Florida State, and then his teammate Marvin Wilson. I caught up with Coach Fuller a couple of weeks ago, got his thoughts on those two guys and what they will bring to their future NFL teams, both on and off the field. Do not miss what Coach Fuller has to say about those guys. Before we get things going, just wanted to quickly remind you guys again about jumping onto our Apple podcast page, leaving us a rating, leave us a comment. If you love the fact that we're coming at you every single day this week for all the Senior Bowl action, jump on, let us know. If you've got a question, we'll answer it. Appreciate everybody that has taken the time to go through all of this over here, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, really wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, that being said, let's get this one going. It's time now to start things off with Dane in Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, well, let's head right down to Mobile, Alabama with our friend Dane Brugler, who is uh, boots on the ground down there. Uh, not Lad People Stadium here today. We got a new introduction to the uh, the new stadium at South Alabama, Dane. But uh, take us through the atmosphere. Well, what is the what is the environment like down there? Uh, obviously, a little bit different circumstances this year. Yeah, I tell you what, Hancock Whitney Stadium uh, on that South Alabama campus is gorgeous. It's a brand new stadium, uh, you know, state of the art, and today. Uh, the, the first practice, it was calling for rain all day. And so there was some some worry, some concern that they might not get it in. They have to go indoors. We were able to be in the stadium outside. Uh, it, did, it did rain for a good portion of that second practice. But uh, with that new stadium and that new turf, uh, they were able to practice right through it. So uh, it, it was great. It was, uh, it was good to see the stands full of, of scouts uh, and evaluators and good to see some uh, live action uh, on the field. A little bit different than if it was uh, at the stadium over at Fairhope. Uh, you know, no offense, yeah. obviously, to the facilities over there. It would have been a little bit of a different atmosphere, uh, for sure, through the rain. So, uh, obviously, look, Tuesday is a big day for the Senior Bowl because it is the morning that starts with weigh-ins. And um, obviously a little bit different this year, but just – Kind of macro view because I, I never talked to you on this podcast during you know after the weigh-ins. So I want to give you you know give you a chance to give, let our listeners know what do you think overall the weigh-ins. Is it overrated? Is it underrated? Is it how big of a deal is that uh, for these guys going through that part of the process? I don't I don't think it's a big deal, but it's not like it's uh, it's unnecessary. It's it's yep. just a part of the process. It's something that you know we have a good idea the the, the size of these players going in. But it's also important just to understand their body composition. You know, if a player is 300 pounds, well, where is he carrying it? You know, and understanding uh, just just the way his body, uh, how it looks. Is there a room for growth potential there? Does he look tapped out? 
Uh, is it a good 300 pounds or is there maybe some, uh, you know, area where he can improve there? So, you know, it's, it's something that is, it's an important part of the process, but it's not like all of a sudden the rankings are changing based off of what happened this morning. So the, the big topic coming out of that was the decision by Devontae Smith to not weigh in. I got to think that this was agreed upon uh, before his decision go down to Mobile. Obviously, that is the big concern with Devontae Smith is his overall size. So what do you make of the decision? What do you think the ripple, ripple effects are of that? He did all the other measurements. Those came in fine. Uh, but is there any kind of residual effects from Devontae Smith not weighing in and uh, deciding to wait until the pro day to do so? Well, you know, it was a little surprising because we already know he's not a big guy. You know, in the spring, NFL scouts measured him at six foot, 170 pounds. uh, And he likely played right around that range. And so, uh, you know, I'm guessing he's going to take some time now, add some weight before the pro day. uh, But I don't know that it really matters if he's 175, 177 pounds. I I think what's more more important he's going to be at a comfortable weight and, and he you know runs well and goes through all the drills at, at a weight that he's comfortable with so uh i really don't think it's that big of a deal because you know if you like him at 169 pounds you're still going to like him at you know uh 178 pounds or you know the vice versa so uh i tell you what it does do now though is it puts more of a spotlight on that pro day to see you know how he tips the scale and just to see what uh, what he comes in at. It's just going to be a lot more, uh, instead of just getting out of the way now, uh, a lot of people are going to be more interested in, in what that pro day looks like. Yeah, I think it's certainly going to be just, it's going to put all eyes on that way in at the pro day. It's almost like when we have those, you know, those discussions about guys that don't take the, you know, don't run the 40 uh, right. at the combine. Well, now it's like, oh, I, all eyes are going to be on the pro day. Well, all eyes are going to be on the scale uh, here in a few weeks when Alabama has their pro day. So uh, just speaking of the way ins, any of the guys that you say, like, all right, this guy was a big winner of the day. Maybe they had a measurement that uh, was really helpful um, for the narrative surrounding their stock moving through this part of the process? Well, I think the winner of the weigh-ins had to have been Florida State defensive engineer Robinson. Uh, I mean, talk about looking the part. 6'5", 266 pounds, 35 and three-quarter inch arms, 11 inch hands. I, I wish the tape was as good as the measurements, yep. but uh, you know, this is what raw tools, uh, that, that's what it looks like because he has speed to him as well. Uh, but when you have that length and you have that size, it's going to entice some teams to maybe roll the dice a little bit. Um, and you know, you look go on the offensive side of the ball, East Carolina's Deontay Smith. He had the longest arms and wingspan of any offensive lineman here in mobile. Uh, so, you, you know, you see a guy with his athleticism and his length, you're going to gain steam throughout the league. Uh, you know, someone's going to take that chance. And then I think, uh, you know, Quinn Miners, uh, at Wisconsin Whitewater, uh, mm-hmm. I think he could be considered a winner as well because he carries his 320 pounds really well. It's not sloppy. And that, that was kind of the worry with him because when you, you know, coming from a D3 program, nothing, you know, nothing against that. Uh, you know, I, I'm from a D3 program. Uh, but, you know, coming from a D3 program, sometimes, uh, you know, the, the strength and conditioning is not always there compared to, uh, you know, some of these other top programs. Uh, and on film, at times, he looked a little bit overweight. But you can tell he's been training hard, not only uh, the body composition, but 33-inch arms, 10 and a quarter inch hands. I think that, that was a little bit uh, better than expected as well. 
So I had Janarius down uh, for me. Three other names that I had. Na- Najee Harris uh, looking the part for sure. I mean, just getting yeah. confirmed numbers on him. Hamza Nazardine from Florida State. Two guys we expected uh, to come in and you know look body beautiful, and certainly they did. Baron Browning, the Ohio State linebacker. Uh, I would ch- check that box as well. Uh, all three of those guys uh, looking pretty good up on the stage. Yeah, and I, I think that some teams, when you look at Baron Browning and look at those numbers, uh, they're going to look at him and say, okay, Maybe this is our designated pass rusher. Uh, may, you know, maybe this is a guy that you know when you when you're at 6'3", 241, 33 inch uh, arms and 10 inch hands. Uh, you know, you, you've got a little bit of position flex to maybe be a downhill player uh, as a rusher. Uh, and, but with his athleticism, he can also drop. So yeah, Baron Browning's definitely one of the more intriguing players here this week. So from the other side of the coin, we talk about Devontae Smith and just the, the questions there, um, you know, with the, him not weighing in. The guys that did come in and measure, I thought there were a few measurements that kind of said, all right, like this is going to, you know, I would say, like change the discussion around this player a little bit. And I think that you look at a couple guys really when it comes down to like arm length and there are right. certain positions where that matters more than others. But uh, some people are going to be looking at Chaz Surratt, uh, Grant Stewart, the other linebacker from Houston. Uh, you know, both guys came in 30 inch arms. Wyatt Hubert from Kansas State, uh, shorter arms than any pass rusher drafted for me in the last decade. Um, that's going to be a number that hurts him. Aaron Robinson, the talented corner from UCF, one of the most talented kids here, uh, also came in a little bit smaller across the board. Uh, than people expected. Were there any other guys uh, or any of those guys in particular uh, that really stood out to you from the opposite side of the coin? Uh, you know, Jack Anderson, Texas Tech, uh, offensive lineman, uh, 31 and 5 eighths uh, uh, arms, which is surprisingly low. Uh, he was a center today during practice, and okay. he, he might he might have to be a center only with those uh, type of arms. Uh, and then Drake Jackson, who look, we, we yep. know he's not a big guy. But 31 and an eighth inch arms and then only eight and a half inch hands, that really stands out as uh, that it stands out as, you know, a red flag. That's going to be tough to overcome for him. Um, One other weight that is a little bit of a concern that I wanted to put out there too: Marvin Wilson at 319 pounds. He he looked overweight this year. He he played overweight, and you know here at the Senior Bowl, he 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 looked a little bit overweight. He needs to be closer to 305, 307 uh, to you know really maximize his value. Uh, Then I think it's also worth pointing out none of the quarterbacks came in with uh, the small hands, so they all hit that threshold, uh, so we can avoid that controversy now. No question. I'm glad you brought up Jake Jackson because he was the other guy that was just like across the board. Uh, shorter and lighter than, um, you know, scouts expected coming in. Cause I know the numbers did not match uh, what scouts had uh, coming in for the, uh, from the spring. So uh, that was another player certainly to keep an eye on. So that being said, let's now get to practice. Let's get to where the, the, the pigskin was thrown around a little bit. We're going to start national practice. The dolphins uh, take the field first. The way we're going to structure this, this segment with you every single day is we're going to take a look, just three takeaways from both sides of the ball. Then we'll kind of fill in the blanks here. I am going in completely blind. I have not watched a down of practice yet. I'm going to watch it before I do my next segment. I want to get three takeaways. You can give me the first one off the bat. What's your first takeaway from watching the national team take the field? Dwayne Eskridge is as advertised. Nice. Uh, you know, on tape, he looks like he's moving at a different speed than everybody else uh, in the Mac. And it, it looked like that here uh, in Mobile. You know, corners, they struggle to press him uh, and really contain at the line of scrimmage because he's so sudden at the line. Uh, he can quickly get that upper hand, that top speed. Uh, he hits it with a second step. Um, and he's got that start-stop mid-route where he's going to be able to uncover. And not only did he have those athletic gifts and show them today, but he caught everything thrown his way. So 
uh, you know, he, he debuted at number 76 overall on my top 100. And I have zero regrets about ranking him that high uh, with, with the way he, way he, way he played today. It's going to be tough for corners uh, this week, one-on-one to uh, keep him under control. All right, let's get to the, uh, the second one. D. Eskridge, he is a really, really impressive player. I'm excited to see what you saw uh, from him on film. Uh, let's get to the second one here. What's your second takeaway from national practice? D. Eskridge, not the only Western Michigan okay. prospect. Oh, uh, Jalen Moore. Yes, Jalen Moore. I tell you what, he, he did, he, his practice today was a little more understated than Eskridge, but still the same in terms of being impressive. Uh, he lined nice. up at both left tackle and left guard. Uh, very, uh, very good balance in his past sets. He could handle speed, he can handle power. He's got an anchor at the point of attack. And then when rushers were able to get to his body, uh, he showed the ability to reset and, uh, and recover. So I think he's going to continue to build momentum here. People in uh, Kalamazoo, very happy with uh, your first two takeaways. Let's go to yeah. the, uh, the third one. What's, uh, what's the third thing that stood out to you? Uh, Notre Dame really well represented here, uh, especially yep. on offense, but it was the two defensive players that I, I think really stole the show, mm. uh, talking about the two defensive ends, uh, Dalen Hayes. And then, uh, help me out. Uh, uh, Ade Ogdenji. I knew you'd have it. So both of these guys, I tell you, they looked good. And, uh, during one-on-ones, uh, Ade, uh, they line him up inside. I think that's part of the appeal with him, inside-outside versatility. Sure. He's got that length. He's got the speed. And they lined him up as a defensive tackle, and he used those 35-inch arms to shock the guard, separate, create a clear lane to the quarterback. Uh, very interesting watching him as an inside rusher uh, so far this week. And then Dalen Hayes, it's been full speed ahead for him. Uh, from the, the moment stretches were done to the final whistle at practice, he's been nonstop. Uh, strong hands, he can deconstruct the tackle. He did that to Dylan Radens from North Dakota State. Uh, speed to power, he went right through Spencer Brown from Northern Iowa, uh, put him on his back. And then something I noticed, every time I watched Hayes come off the field, he went over to an assistant coach and just talked his ear off, going over various techniques and I mean, this is a player who understands the opportunity that's in front of him uh, this week with the way he handled himself in practice one. So Ogadenji is an interesting one because first of all, he came in uh, with just freak show length. He's got over 35 and a quarter inch arms, the wingspans, you know, out of this world. He's one of a handful of guys. And we talked about this a little bit when we did our draft uh, yesterday with Eric Edholm. There are a bunch of defensive ends in this group down here in Mobile the, and not a lot of defensive tackles. So I right. was interested to see who are the guys that, you know, they're listed at DN, but they're going to be sliding inside. And obviously Ogudenji was one. Were there any other guys that you, you know, are listed as edge guys, but spent more of their time on the interior today? Well, as you know, for uh, my team yesterday, I drafted Teron Jackson right. uh, to play inside. And that's, he was playing a, a three technique role today. And he uh, came in light. He came yeah, in like 269. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah, it, it was, yeah, it was a little bit lighter than I, I thought he might. Uh, Cause he, he looks more like a defensive end out there, but they had him playing inside. Um, and just worth pointing out to keep the Western Michigan theme alive. Uh, Ade originally a Western Michigan commit before oh, um, Notre Dame was able to turn them. So uh, just got to get that in there. I like that. All right. Well, let's go over to the, uh, to the other side, the American team uh, coached by the Carolina Panthers and Matt rule. Uh, let's go to your three takeaways there. Start with number one. Well, top wide receiver uh, on the first, uh, in the first practice really stood out, separated himself with D Eskridge. We had another guy uh, receiver do that in the second practice. Shy Smith. Uh, it's your guy. It, 
yeah, I mean, it's the South Carolina native. Uh, he made the catch uh, of the practice with this leaping grab that he had over the defender, got up there, uh, a pretty impressive vertical and ball skills. And we saw him do that a few times on a senior tape. I was uh, just going to say that. I, I feel like that's a rewind you know, back to like September and October. Exactly. And so, but it was, it was more than just the acrobatics uh, for, for Smith uh, today during practice, uh, really aggressive routes. Uh, so, you know, he's able to sell, sell the pattern and then use a sharp burst off his plant foot to create that separation at the top of the route. Uh, defensive backs had a tough time with him. Uh, he's the type of guy that plays full speed all the time. And at times when you watch him on film, you could see that disrupt his focus a little bit. That wasn't the case today because he showed really quick hands. He stabbed the football away from him cleanly, put it away. Um, and it got to the point during team drills where the quarterbacks, they were looking, uh, they weren't looking at other receivers. Uh, they were looking towards Smith because they knew there was a good chance of a completion uh, when they targeted him. Well, let's get to your uh, your third take or your second takeaway here uh, from the American practice. Second takeaway: This is the chance for running backs to show that uh, they have three down value uh, in a, in a setting like this. Uh, a lot of a lot of drills, uh, pass catching drills, a lot of uh, pass protection drills, and Larry Roundtree, uh, Missouri running back. You know, he's not a dynamic player. But he's got vision. He's got footwork. He, he's a tough player. He's he has a pro future. But I think the key to his NFL role is what he provides uh, on third downs. Uh, you know, on that Missouri tape, it seemed like a lot of times on on passing downs, he'd be on the sideline. They bring someone else in, and you know, he would not have a lot of targets. Yeah. But he did a really nice job today. Soft hands, body control as a receiver. Uh, and I, th- I think he held his own as in pass protection as well. So, you know, he is a, a low ceiling, high floor type of player at the next level. But if he p- performs uh, the next two days like he did today in the first day of practice in terms of catching the ball and blocking, he's only going to help himself. He's my favorite of those American backs. So I'm glad that he stood out to you. And we've seen so, so many times over the last few years where there are questions about running backs on third down. And then they come into the league. Oh, this guy only had seven career catches. And then he comes out and he has 28 in his rookie season. Or, right. oh, Kenny Block. And then he comes out and he does a great job blocking his rookie season. I think you could see that there's, there are guys that are going to make that jump. It doesn't mean everybody can, but it's possible for them to be able to make uh, that jump and prove themselves. So good to hear uh, Roundtree doing that on day one. Uh, your last one. Uh, take us out here. What's your third takeaway? Uh, well, let's go to the, some small school players uh, or a small school player. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we, I think it's easy to spot the small school guys. Um, and I think that was the case with Robert Rochelle. Um, it, it's, I think it's safe to say he's never faced a receiver quite like Kadarius Tony. And it showed during one-on-ones. Tony got the best of him on more than a few occasions. And because of that, you could tell Robert Rochelle, probably a small school guy without looking at the helmet. But I'll tell you what, uh, credit to Rochelle because he got battling back, battling back. His athleticism, it looks on par with SEC athletes. Uh, and that's not always the case with these small school guys. He just needs to play more disciplined, uh, play. You know, I know he, he's eager, he's aggressive out there, but he needs to play more within himself, uh, you know, better technique, better uh, discipline at the top of routes. And so I'm eager to watch Rochelle the rest of the week to see how he can adjust and whether or not he shows those necessary improvements going up against a talent like uh, Kadarius Tony. You know, there's a reason why I took him in my uh, as my second corner in our mock draft there, Dane. You know, there's a reason why he's got that upside. I'm glad he showed that on day one. Well, your team was eh, so I had to throw you a bit of love. <laughs> it's uh, been it's been know. mixed. Uh, it's been mixed it has. so far on social media. There have been some people that said you, you were the clear winner. Uh, others that have come out saying it was me. 
We'll say that I got the tiebreaker because Ben uh, Ben gave it. A <laughs> but uh, Dane, we're gonna let you go. It's been a long day for you. Excited to uh, keep breaking this all down with you every single week or every single day here this week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Now it's time for pick six. All right, so I can't let Dane have all the fun, right? So for pick six today, I'm going to go through the six players that stood out most to me after I went through a handful of periods of practice watching the film here on Tuesday night. Now, I'm going to start things off in the trenches with the national squad. That's Washington defensive tackle Levi Onzerike. I watched the nine-on-seven period, and I watched the one-on-one period. And just watching the, the trenches with those two groups in those two sessions – I thought Onzerike was one of the best players out there. Really, really disruptive, stout against the run in the inside run periods and had a handful of wins in one-on-ones as well. He's got really heavy hands. And I'm telling you, I can't wait to start digging into some of the team footage because I know that this guy is going to be making plays from sideline to sideline. He plays with his hair on fire. I cannot wait to dig a little bit deeper into this and watch the week continue to develop. But I'll tell you what, the first couple of periods, uh, nine on seven, one on ones, you really saw the the start, the potential there for what Onzerike could be in the NFL. His ability to disrupt against the run in the pass, really, really impressive. So I'm going to go to my next one now. Notre Dame offensive lineman Robert Hainsey. Now Hainsey has been a career right tackle with the Irish. Now he was with the first team offensive line with the national squad on Tuesday at right guard. Now, he played that all through nine on seven, first few reps of one-on-ones, and then he slid out to his more uh, his uh, the position he's accustomed to, right tackle for his last couple of reps. Had one loss, had one win, and even in the loss, I thought he competed well. Overall, I thought Hainsey showed really good athleticism. You saw him get up to the second level, and, and part of being a, a good athlete along the offensive line isn't just getting from A to B. That's a big part of it, but also – when you get to point B, what's your body control look like? Do you have the ability to come to balance, make a block, get onto a defender up at the second level? And I thought Hainsey showed the ability to do that a couple of times in the 9-on-7 period. You saw him release up uh, with free access uh, you know, on a zone run. You saw him as a puller as well, going from right to left. So you saw him on the move a couple of times in those two periods. I thought he showed the ability to latch on to moving targets. And then also in one-on-ones, I thought he competed really well. Last one here for the uh, for, for that group, for the offensive line. I'm going to go with Creed Humphrey. And when I look at Creed Humphrey, there wasn't one play where I was like, oh man, he was really dominant. But at the end of the day, after I got done charting the, those those two sessions, he didn't really have many losses. You know, I thought that he did a good job of showing the ability to recover. There were a couple times where I thought, man, Onzerike is really getting the better of him. You know, especially looking at the 9-on-7 period, I thought Onzerike really gave it to Humphrey, and Humphrey was just kind of holding on for dear life. But at the end of the day, Humphrey did a good job recovering and making sure that he wasn't completely beaten on the rep. So I think overall, I thought Humphrey did some really good things. I thought he had a couple good scoop blocks uh, as a backside player in zone schemes, working out to the outside and perimeter runs. And then in one-on-ones, I thought he, again, showed that ability to recover. And that's such an important trait for offensive linemen. So uh, my first three here, Onzerike from Washington, Hainsey from Notre Dame, and then Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma. As of right now, it looks like Onzerike, a potential first-round pick. I would say the same thing about Humphrey. Hainsey, it seems like probably an early day three selection. So just giving you kind of a little bit of background on those three players. For my next trio, I went over to the American squad, and I watched a couple of the skill position groups work. Mainly, I watched the uh, the wide receiver DB one-on-ones. First, guy, first guys up, I kind of lumped them together here, but the pair of Clemson receivers, Amari Rogers and Cornell Powell. You know, what, you know what it is? Both guys did what 
I expected them to do. Cornell Powell worked outside the numbers, mostly to the right side, got some lefts, or got some reps over on the left as well. He got off press coverage, showed the ability to separate, kind of a technician in terms of his ability to create some of that space, create some of that separation against a corner. He was able to finish the catch point. He's got, he's got some length to him. I liked his ability uh, to, you know, to just kind of hold his vertical stem, put his foot in the ground and break opposite. I thought he did some really good things uh, getting off the jam and then working in a phone booth at the top of the route and creating separation late as well. So Powell did some good things. And then Rogers just fighting through contact. And when you're, you're a slot receiver, you're going to deal with traffic. You're going to deal with some press coverage. You're going to steal some guy, uh, deal with some guys up in your face. I thought a couple of times he showed the ability to fight through contact. He made some catches to the ground. He made some catches over the shoulder, down the field. Uh, just, again, doing what I expected Amari Rodgers to come in and do. I thought both Clemson kids uh, looked good in this period. Aaron Robinson, mentioned him earlier when I was talking with Dane. This was a guy that came in a lot smaller than people were expecting. One of the allures of Aaron Robinson was watching him on film and saying, man, like this guy moves well for a guy who's 6'1", 200-pound uh, corner. You know, look at this guy. He comes in at like, you know, what was it, sub-6, six, sub-6 foot. He was 5'11 and change. Comes in a little bit lighter than people thought, shorter arms than people thought. I'll tell you what, he, he looked great in press coverage. He showed the ability to compete uh, from snap to whistle. He ran with uh, with Kadarius Toney vertically down the field at one point and competed at the catch point, got the ball on the ground. So Aaron Robinson, good first day. I thought he was the probably the best corner uh, from that American squad coached by the Carolina Panthers. So I would say Aaron Robinson uh, will be one of my fifth guy. And then for my sixth, I'm going to go with Tennessee wide receiver Josh Palmer. And Palmer is a guy that we don't really talk about all that often. Basketball background, good-sized kid. He's got great length. He's got a great wingspan. But it's not just, oh, look at him go up and win it above the rim. He's not just a, a possession guy. He also was able to win vertically. You know, Wearing number 85, uh, you saw that ability to get down the field. I thought he showed the ability to win off the jam as well. He had a one really good release. I believe it was against Robert Rochelle from Central Arkansas where he basically just shook him at the line, created the separation on a slant route. Uh, but again, his ability to win down the field as well. So you're talking about a, a kid with that skill set where he can win downfield. He's got some long speed. He's a long strider that can eat up grass but then also go up and win at the catch point. He's got some twitch to separate in a phone booth as well. So Palmer, uh, a guy to keep an eye on. I thought that some of those receivers continue to make plays. I thought Austin Watkins showed some good flashes. I didn't mention Shai Smith because uh, Dane brought him up earlier, but he certainly had a couple catches. I saw the catch that Dane was talking about earlier. Uh, these receivers, it's got a deep, deep group. We talked about that during the mock draft uh, on Tuesday. It's a fun group to, to study. It's a, a lot of good players down in Mobile. So those are the six, uh, we'll say seven, players that stood out to me. Let's now get to my interview with Florida State defensive coordinator Adam Fuller. He's going to talk about Hamza Nazardine, the, st the star safety, who had a couple of nice reps today. I saw uh, him in press coverage against some receivers. Thought he did some nice things, really did a nice job competing from snap to whistle. And then Marvin Wilson as well, who Dane mentioned earlier. Let's see what Coach Fuller had to say about two of his star pupils. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, excited to be joined here this week by Florida State Defensive Coordinator, Coach Adam Fuller. Coach, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Yeah, no problem. So let's talk through uh, a couple of these guys that are heading down to the Senior Bowl. And what I find interesting is just kind of getting it from your vantage point because you know you just got to Florida State just over a year ago. You were hired December of 2019. And I think one of the things that's talked about around the NFL draft is trying to get to know these players. And you don't really know until you get your hands on them, until you get them into your building. And so 
having you just gone through this process with these two guys, with Marvin Wilson, with Hamza Nazardine, I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts on just your initial take on those guys as you got a chance to work with them over the last calendar year. And we'll start uh, with Marvin Wilson. You know, came in as a big-time recruit uh, at Florida State, played very early and turned into a very good player. I know you had heard great things, I'm sure, coming into working with him, but what were some of your initial reactions to your first interactions with Marvin as a, as a player and as a person? Uh, Marvin's very likable personality, uh, loves football, um, is extremely hard worker, is very much a pleaser. Um, he's an independent thinker in a, in a positive way. Um, he just wants to know how and why. And, um, you know, the most impressive thing about Marvin is, you know, when we took over, he had, you know, had some individual success here at Florida State. Um, but within my first couple months here you know he sat down on a couple actually as we got into that third month going to the season and said coach how can I better impact my teammates like how do I like you see my leadership style like how does it get better what can I do different and it, and he shows up with a notebook and ready to go about it and um you know so he he's a humbled uh worker is probably the best way I can and he's got a great personality he's charismatic um, you know, and, you know, it's a shame that he got, you know, banged up with us during the season that we didn't get to see the best of him. Uh, but as far as his personality and his mindset and, and, and his passion for Florida State, uh, he's a relationship builder um, and he left a really good impression on me. You know, one of the things that a lot of you know scouts, coaches talk about at the NFL is how do guys react to adversity? And, and obviously this past offseason, the 2020 offseason, uh, full of cases of adversity. And Marvin had to deal with some of it on, on his own in terms of you know coming back from his injury in 2019 as well. Uh, what did you see from him from that aspect? Obviously a leader for that team and you know for the guys that were already in the building when you guys got there. Uh, Marvin's kind of an old school approach guy. And what I mean by that is, you know, don't tell me what's wrong. Just tell me how to fix it and give me the chance to do it. And, you know, that was kind of his mindset um, throughout throughout the season and um, even up to the end. You know, he, he wanted to be out there, um, wanted to do all that he could to give himself an opportunity to finish his career here uh, the right way. We kind of had to help Marvin help himself in some cases. Talk about that. And then the last question I've got here regarding Marvin is just uh, on the field, you know, give us a, a, a scouting report and how you view kind of his strengths moving on to the NFL. Uh, Marvin's powerful. Um, he plays the game with passion. He plays hard. Um, just a very physical player um, that plays with a really good amount of power. Um, you know, he, he runs well for a, for a big man. Um, and you know, he's got a pretty good understanding of football, um, but he's passionate about it, uh, plays with a lot of strength and aggression. Um, so, you know, overall, I think Marvin's somebody that can help a program, you know, at the point of attack and he plays with really good effort. Coach, the, the last thing I want to ask, just going off of that, you know, a lot of people will talk about the defensive tackle position, that ability to get after the quarterback versus being able to stop the run. Marvin, uh, certainly one of the best run defenders in the NFL. I've always been impressed with just how good he is at the top of the rush of being able to try and get home and win one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, how do you kind of look at that part of his game in terms of his ability to impact the quarterback? Well, I think he's, you know, there's a lot of pass rushing that does involve just effort and mindset. And uh, I think he's determined. He's a determined rusher, you know, where he wants to finish and he'll strain to finish. Um, so I think he, he offers that. 
Yeah, and then going over to to Hamza Nazruddin, we'll kind of, I guess we'll kind of start uh, at the top with him. What what were some of your thoughts on him uh, as you started to get to know him a little bit? Uh, you know, he was coming off uh, an injury as well. What were some of your thoughts uh, dealing with Hamza over the course of the 2020 offseason? Well, my my Hamza's relationship uh, because I'm with the secondary every day became a little bit more intimate in a way of just dealing with him on a daily um, routine. You know, the thing about Ham is he only played three quarters for me in the whole season, and they were the last three quarters of the season, basically, the last four quarters of the season. Um, so, you know, I went through the struggles for him of trying to make sure that we we protected him from himself. We we got him back on the field when he was 100% healthy. But his preparation, um, he's a pro with just how he sees things, how he wants to see things. Um, you know, I think he's learned. I didn't know him in his younger years, but – He's a, a very open um, with just the things he needed to prove upon and just his discipline with um, his preparation and how he went about his business were all things that Ham thought he needed to do a better job of. That was prior to us meeting him. So I think he matured a lot over the years just by speaking to him. And we got the best version of Ham, um, just not on the field because he just was extremely limited. Um, the time that he did play, though, he was very impactful. You know, had a pick against Duke, had a couple pass breakups on third down, had over 15 tackles in the in the game and a half that he played. Um, and just, you know, he wants to know how, he wants to do it better, uh, has high standard for himself. And, you know, just the way he came back with his rehab. And, I mean, Ham, I have zero um, hesitation on him uh, fitting into any locker room um, or getting coached by any style of coaching, uh, you know, him, him, him definitely, he's the total package when it comes to just his preparation and his maturity level. I don't think a lot of fans understand what goes into the rehab process for a guy, you know, that tore his ACL in December. And so he's working all year to get back. And then in that early parts of the season, trying to test that, what was that like for him? You know, being, you know, being with him on a daily basis, uh, what was that like for him as he's trying to fight his way back into the lineup? Just trying to keep him grounded with uh, his own expectations. But there weren't many times that I had to motivate him or, or keep his spirits upbeat would be a better way to say it. Um, you know, cause you know, when, before the season started, like he had these high aspirations that he would come in and be one of the better safeties in the country. And all of a sudden game one, he's not going to play. And then game two, and then it comes down. Am I ever going to play? And I don't really see a crack in his mindset, um, at any point. And, um, you know, we could have used them. We could have used them for many factors on the field and off the field, but, um, you know, he, he never really wavered in his determination for playing, uh, for playing here. I mean, just think about it. There's a kid with a lot of talent, did have film as a junior, um, got hurt, and he came back and played for us in the last, you know, we, we played him about 25 plays against NC State in the whole game against Duke, and he's biting, scratching to see if we could play another one. And uh, that's, that gives you a little bit of in, insight in, into who he is. No question. Uh, Coach, from, all, from that 2019 film before the injury, my last question for you is give us a little bit of a scouting report. You talked about how impactful he was for the four quarters he played for you this year. When you see the whole body of work with Hamza, uh, what does he bring to his future NFL team? Yeah, I just – I think he's got some natural run fitting to him. Um, he's a big athlete. Um, he's an aggressive tackler. Um, you know, his range and his ability to play in space is still getting better as he came back from that injury. I saw it get better from the first game he played 
to the second game. He was starting to move. So I never really coached him at his full speed. I think, you know, I started to really feel it as we prepared for that last week in Duke where I mentioned our staff, you know, because I didn't have anything to compare it to. You know, the NC State game, he went out there. Um, but I saw him get progressively better uh, to a point that I thought he was starting to move um, in an elite way for his size um, in that in that last week that I had him. So, um, you know, I think the sky's the limit for him. He's got a lot of position flexibility because of his size, uh, because of his knee bend, and then his ability to tackle. I think those are all things uh, at our level and on Sunday that are that are critical. The buzzword all offseason last year was the positionless players on the back end of a back seven of a defense. And, you know, there are players in the, in the ACC, Isaiah Simmons being namely one of them coming out of Clemson. I looked at, at Hamza as one of those guys who could play from depth. He could play in the slot. He can come down, play in the box. When you have a guy with a versatile skill set, not even just speaking just to Hamza, but just that overall versatility in the back seven, what does that do for a secondary coach? What does that do for a defensive play caller? What's funny, you're always looking for a guy that can match up on these one-on-one players that aren't the six-foot, 180 guys. You know, you're trying to – there's these players on offense now, they're in that 6'3", 250, 240, you know, and what are they? Are they wideouts? Are they tight ends? Are they H-backs? You know, and so if those guys are playing offense, we need to be able to play defense with guys that can – especially if those kids are lining up in a wide receiver, like your corner may not be a corner anymore. You know, you may call them a corner, but can they defend that person? Can they change direction with them? Can they match the ball with those guys? Can they physically disrupt them at the line of scrimmage? You know, so I think Ham brings, you know, some natural run fit that he can play in the box. I think he's got some overlap safety to him, but he's got some man-to-man coverage skill on some of these, you know, miscellaneous route runners that are, that are running around in these in these stadiums nowadays. So, you know, he's got a competitive nature to him, and, and he's got enough – smarts that he'll learn it um, he'll want to learn it and he's got a good overall game well coach this has been awesome thanks so much for visiting with us here on the journey to the draft podcast stay safe stay healthy happy new year we'll talk to you soon appreciate you thanks Hope you guys enjoyed that uh, that interview with Coach Fuller. Really gracious with his time, you know, talking about Hamza Nazardine and Marvin Wilson, two very talented players that a lot of people are very high on around the NFL. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you go back, listen to some of our previews earlier this week. If you have not already, we've got a couple more days of action, though, coming from Mobile, Alabama, in the Senior Bowl right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Raise a glass to that comforting feeling of an Eagles touchdown with the all-new Broad and Patterson Wine Collection created in partnership with Wink. Featuring a Cabernet, a Rosé, and a Chardonnay, Broad and Patterson wines are the perfect pairing for any occasion. Now you can bring the sweet taste of victory with you to a dinner with friends or to the tailgate with your game day crew. Purchase online today at philadelphiaeagles.com wine to stock up and have Broad and Patterson delivered right to your door. A portion of proceeds from every bottle benefit Eagles Autism Foundation.